Hello and welcome to the Shock Horror Podcast. Hello. 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 Hi. We're all here. I've got music. I've just been playing with the Apple. I've got music playing for some reason. Hang on. There we go. We're all ready. Hi, everybody. How you doing, guys? I'm doing good. Hanging yeah. in there. Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Well. Yeah, I've I got a little bit of a cold, too. actually. Oh, no. Yeah, but I'll be all right. You need a nice cup of tea. Yes, a cup of tea. A cup of tea would do really good, actually. A cup of tea. And, uh, yeah, you'll be right as rain in the morning. <laughs> That's, That's a really very good. British thing to say. Right. So, let me just get this all sorted out. Moderation. I'm just going to give you all the moderation. And then we'll get down to it. How are you, Alvin? I'm doing awesome, man. Yeah. How about yourself? Yeah, all good here. Really looking forward to this. I've got a lot to say. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Bear with me. Okay. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Hello to everyone listening. Bonjour to the mond. Excellent. So I'm ready when you are, guys. Are you good to go? Uh, I am good to go. Excellent. Well, welcome, everybody. We're going to be talking about a latest release, which is probably the 140th entry into the uh, Halloween saga, which is Halloween Kills. It feels like there's been 140 entries into this series. Not including, of course, my favourite, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. But uh, I'm I'm a special child. But, yeah, so, Alvin, tell me about your history with the Halloween franchise. Oh, I watched them a lot when I was a kid. Um, I was, you know, I was on the podcast about Scream. I don't have as lengthy of a past with Halloween or as at least as a passionate I don't have a as passionate uh history with Halloween <laughs> as I do. I do I do appreciate uh, all the Halloween movies but uh but yeah not not the passion I bring to the screen but I'm definitely willing to talk about them so excellent and what about you Paul when was the first time that you ever watched a Halloween movie well, you know, I'm actually one of those ones that, you know, uh, that's only seen the original and these more <gasps> recent installments. So I've not seen any of the um, 
you know, any like Halloween two, three, anything like that. So I'm technically, you know, the, the, you know, they, they, the Halloween people would love me because they're like, you know, they'd be like, well, you know, this is what we want you to focus on is, you know, the original and then these two movies so far and what's coming out. So um, I ended up uh, seeing Halloween for the first time a few years ago. And um, a friend was telling me about it. He was saying that there's things about it that make it so um, over the top um, and, you know, questionable. But um, I, I absolutely love the original a lot. It, it is just, it's a classic. And um, so definitely, yeah. you, know, you have to find out what happens to Michael. Well, of course. And obviously the 1978 film uh, directed by John Carpenter and uh, written and produced by John Carpenter and, and the late Deborah Hill uh, is an absolute classic. And I think that a lot of the movies that we get today, especially things like Scream, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, the Jason franchise, I don't think that we would have a lot of those without um, that 1978 movie. So it does have a lot of it hanging on its shoulders. And of course, it coming back two years ago, or now three years ago now, I think, with um, Halloween. Uh, I, again, Alvin, we spoke about this last week, you know, with movies just calling themselves, you know, after their original titles, Halloween. I mean, we've got Halloween... Uh, like was it 1978 halloween 2007 with rob zombie and now 2018 um obviously scream has borrowed from that trope uh mm -hmm. did you see did you see and enjoy the 2018 halloween oh yeah i was i was absolutely there for 2018's halloween it uh before watching it i had my reservations mostly because I, I, you know, I had read that they were going to make some of them not canon and stuff. And that kind of bugged me a little bit, um, specifically to the to H2O story, which is kind of the original Halloween 2018, really. And uh, actually, I know it's a little bit toned down, but I really liked the H2O movie. So um, I was worried about what they were going to do, only focusing on the first one. But I liked the 2018 Absolutely. one. Quite, I, I liked it quite a bit, actually. I'm the same. You know, my very first Halloween experience was H2O. I remember begging and begging my my dad to to rent it for me from Blockbuster because uh, I just really liked the the cover um, art of, you know, I think around those times, every single cover art was the same since Scream had come out. You know, like the main characters, like with black background and then just like the oh, mask, yeah. you know, right. just sort of just in just slightly in focus so i remember seeing this and being really intrigued by it and then uh finally my parents gave in and rented it for me when i was babysitting one night which is not really a film that you need to watch when you're babysitting but um <laughs> yeah and i've thoroughly enjoyed it i didn't know much what was going on obviously because i hadn't seen the original but it did then spur me to go and watch um, the Halloween franchise up to that point. So I saw, obviously, the original, then Halloween 2, which um, we'll talk about Halloween 2 a little bit later on because even though Halloween 2 is no longer canon, I mean, what is bloody canon now with this series, obviously? But 
Um, yeah, there are some story beats in Halloween Kills that definitely owe a nod to Halloween 2. So, I'm assuming, Alvin, you've seen Halloween Kills? Yes. Paul, have you seen Halloween Kills? Yes, I have. Oh, so this is going to be a good one then. So we can spoil away. I was thinking absolutely. maybe we have to be light on the spoilers, but um, absolutely not this time. So let's go from the beginning. Okay, so the, the movie starts pretty much on the same night as 2018's Halloween. We are with Cameron, a character still wearing his um, Bonnie outfit from the fancy dress party, which I thought was funny because imagine if you'd never seen Halloween 2018 and the film just opens with a boy dressed as Bonnie, Bonnie from Bonnie and Clyde. You'd be thinking, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and yeah, he stumbles across uh, the police officer who was injured, Hawkins, Officer Hawkins, who was who we thought was dead. And then we go into what I think is actually the best part of the film, the flashback sequence. Alvin, talk me through what you felt when you first saw that flashback to 1978. Uh, well, um, anytime you open a movie focusing on a backstory from Will Patton, it's probably a good thing in my opinion because I really like Will Patton and I was, yeah. I was really happy to see a backstory given to him and... They nailed the beginning of this movie for sure. Like this, the the whole, the whole nineteen. Like I felt like I was watching an old movie. If my child came downstairs, he'd be like, "Why are you watching this old horror movie?" Like it just it looked, <laughs> it looked real. It looked really convincing. The makeup, the the uh, the hairstyle, the the grain, everything about it was uh felt very familiar with the original. I really appreciated the way they did that. What did you think and- about Michael Myers in that flashback? It, it, it was all good in my opinion. The beginning, I, I agree with you completely. The beginning was the strongest part of the whole movie in my opinion. I really, I really liked that flashback. I thought Michael yeah, I Myers thought, was scary. I thought it was and, Mars. Yeah, it looked so much like the original. I thought it was absolutely spot on, and the way he yeah. walked, his mannerisms, really, really matched the uh, the absolutely. original. I know that they had two actors playing the shape in this film so that you had um james jude courtney i think that played it in halloween and then you had a guy called aaron armstrong who was playing michael myers in 1978 just because he's a bit of a younger dude and had that like more movement but uh, right yeah. yeah what did you think paul of that whole opening back in 1978 I, you know, I absolutely loved it. I thought it looked exactly, it felt exactly like the original. It, it, it felt like it was shot like the original. It felt like it very well could be in the original film. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, I liked that it, uh, you know, everything about it, just it, the grain and everything like Alvin said, it just really, really felt like an actual, like the 1978, you know, um, there were some, like, you know, some of the cops and everything, you know, that, that that you could tell that, like, you know, their hairstyles and everything were a little bit more, you know, questionable. But, um, <laughs> you know, but still, it was kind of, uh, it, you know, it was uh, it was really good. And I, um, 
and I really did like the uh, the flashbacks a lot, and I agree. I think that that was a really strong part of the film. Absolutely. Well, playing one of the old police officers, the police officer that got shot in the neck, is um, yes. Jim Cummings, who's one of my favorites. He's like, I love him as a director, loved him in a film called Thunder Road that he did, and um, he did a film called The Wolf of Snow Hollow recently, uh, last year, I think, which was an absolute corker. So, um, really excellent. He played the police officer who, like I said, I think his name was Pete, but he got shot in the neck by Officer Hawkins, which then brings this whole sort of added story to Hawkins because he's obviously seeking revenge on Michael Myers for something a lot deeper than just, you know, Myers having killed the three teenage girls. Um, we do get a surprise cameo in this open, Alvin. Did you think that the the return of Dr. Loomis was convincing? Yes. Yes, I did. In short, yes, I liked the I liked the cameo a lot. Did you think that they did um, the right thing by doing the sort of CGI, having the voice artist come in and and do that? Do you think that that worked? It worked for me. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely worked for me. I guess, I guess some people might not have appreciated it, but it definitely worked for me. What about you, Paul? Oh, I definitely thought it was really good. It definitely uh, was much better than Carrie Fisher in Rogue One. Um, and because uh, it just, you know, like, like I think it was more convincing um the CGI in this film than uh, than in Rogue One. So definitely, sure. I thought part of me thought like, "Wow, this really looks like the guy." I'm like, "That that's really impressive." It's really impressive. I mean, I think that a lot of people have said that this film was made for the fans. Now, I'm going to say off the bat right now, I don't think that saying a film is for the fans is any excuse for a bad movie. Not that I'm saying that Halloween Kills is a bad movie. I mean, that opening sequence, I think we can all agree, was pretty extraordinary. But where we go from here um, is a little bit more muffled. So I just want to give a little throwback quickly and just mention some characters that make it back into this film from the original. So we have Tommy Doyle, not played by the original actor, sadly, but played by Anthony Michael Hall instead. We have um, probably the most pointless returning character in any movie horror film, but Charles Cypress playing Lee Brackett. I'm not entirely sure. Did you enjoy Lee Brackett's return, Alvin? Sorry, you're break. You're breaking all kinds of up. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? Uh, yes, yes. Good. What did you think about Lee Brackett's return? Uh, I didn't. I didn't actually. I didn't have an issue. Uh, with him in the movie, I I, uh, I actually kind of thought it was cool to bring him back. But even though it was cool, I mean, he was just brought back to die, like most of them. Spoiler, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I heard, I think when you were breaking up, I heard you were saying that it, uh, that it was pointless, and I I get I get that sentiment as well. Um, it was it was nice to see him. I thought 
Um, I didn't expect to see him. What was his job? I was really confused. Was he like security at the hospital? That that was that was a bit foggy for me. I'm not sure exactly what his job was. If he was just consulting, uh, or yeah, yeah maybe obviously maybe nothing just... to do with the police. That, um, you know, with the sheriff station in the town, obviously because there's a new sheriff in town, right. so he's obviously nothing to do with that. But I was just thinking, what's he doing there? Is he like, has he been demoted or has he retired? But just goes and sits at the hospital. That's the latter is my reason. The latter is my opinion. I think that he's retired and just hangs around. You know, he just he can't uh he can't you know, it's a small town, those small town vibes. He's he's just there because, you know, that's what he did for his whole life and he probably can't let it go, like most retirees, I'm sure. Sure, absolutely. So the next returning character from the original Halloween, we have Nancy Stevens, who plays Marion, who if you remember in the um the very first Halloween film, she was the nurse that drove Dr. Loomis to Smith Grove's hospital to um, to see Michael. And then Michael's escaped. He climbs over the car. He pretty much does exactly the same in this film, what he did in that scene with her. But uh-huh. uh, yeah, I mean, that whole scene in the car was pretty big for beat what happened. I've got a question for you and I'm going to pose it to both of you because I think you might have different um opinions on this i'm gonna bring in kylie richards obviously as Lindsay right now so i think she is the only one um of the two kids obviously tommy doyle was played by a new actor but mm-hmm. Ky- uh, kylie richards obviously played Lindsay in the original 1978 she's now a desperate housewife of god knows where um so she's mm-hmm. returned as Lindsay. so you've got Lindsay, tommy Marion, and then we have last but not least, we have uh, Lonnie. How do they all know each other? I mean, I know that Tommy, Lonnie, and and Lindsay obviously all went to school and went through the like experience together. But how the hell does Marion, Nancy Stevens's character, know these people? Right, that's what I was wondering. What's she doing there, Alvin? That that was a bit of a reach to have her at the bar with the rest of them. I thought she's a different age group than the rest. Uh, clearly, I just I uh, that was a little forced, probably. Sure, I've got a theory, Paul. What do you think about this theory that they know each other from Michael's trial? Oh, so, yeah. There you go. I like that. What do you think about that? I like that as well. Some some more flashbacks and Halloween ends. I'm assuming. <laughs> Yeah, possibly. I mean, obviously, we know that Michael was captured at the end of, um, well, at the beginning of Halloween Kills, but in 1978, Michael was caught at the end. So there must have been a trial. Um, I can't imagine what they said when they read him his rights, though. You had the right to remain silent. (laughs) I mean, he's definitely taken that up. Um, I'd like to know more about how that went down. Yeah, definitely. Sorry. Maybe a spin-off. The trial of yeah. Michael Myers. I mean, that to me sounds like a six-part Netflix series. Easily. Trial of Michael Myers, <laughs> yeah. What's your opinion? And I'm not just talking about the Halloween franchise here. Um, Paul, what do you what do you feel 
um, characters returning from the original sort of episodes of these of these franchises what do you think returning characters bring and do you think they're necessary i mean i i mean i think that they're okay so marion i thought died in the very first one like i thought michael killed her like like i think out of all the kids you know tommy and of course Lindsay. you know i think that it made sense to bring them back but, you know, Marion, it was like, I, I really thought that when Michael broke the glass and everything and like pulled her out that it was like, you know, he killed her, you know, so. Yeah, well, he, he does kill her. She obviously um, was in H2O as well, which in this universe doesn't exist. But in H2O, I think she gets much better screen time and much more to do in H2O than she does in this, to be honest. What do you think, Alvin? Oh, I agree with that. I, uh, I, I was, I was puzzled. I think they did it as a favor to bringing her back. I think they kind of, like I was saying, her, her, her deal to begin with is a little forced. I think she's close to the project. She's been around for 40 years with, with the movies as they've grown. She wanted to be a part of it and they, they, uh, they penciled her in. <laughs> That's it. I mean, let's just get her in and then kill her off as quickly as possible. Yes. That, yeah. That's what they, that, that was the discussion they had. <laughs> yeah, there's not going to be many people left for Halloween ends at this rate. I mean, I'm very, very no. happy. Um, I'm very happy that they spared Lindsay Wallace. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, I'm glad because, um, Paul, would you? I mean, for me, that scene with Lindsay Wallace where she gets out the car, um, goes and shouts at the kids, and then is stalked by Michael. For me, that is probably one of the best scenes of the film to be honest i thought that really brought the creepy back to michael what do you what do you think oh definitely like when you know i was very surprised from watching kyle richards in the real the the real housewives of beverly hills you know she's you know i part of me thought like is she going to be able to do this like is she going to be able to actually act you know and Mm. uh because she's so over the top now but it, I, I was very much impressed with that she was still she still has it. So, um, and I agree. I think that the creepy factor really came in when um, when Michael was stalking her, and um, like when she was uh, laying in the grass uh, underneath the mm-hmm. bridge, and she like had to cover her mouth so that she could muffle her breathing, and yeah. it's like that is. Like, part of me, you know, and then he's just walking. It's like, oh, God, is he going to see her? Is he going to see her? Is he going to see her? You know? And, um, but I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, that that was one of the best parts of the film was, um, you know, Lindsay's, uh, uh, you know, that part with Lindsay. Or survival, luckily. I was very, very stressed during that sequence. But when he started to walk across the bridge, I was thinking oh god she's gonna get up and then he's suddenly just gonna be there and he's gonna kill her and i actually really really wanted her character i think out of all the characters in the film i think she was the one i rooted for the most at that moment i I don't think i even rooted for the daughter (laughs) very much (laughs) what do you think i really wanted to see her run i really wanted to see her keep going i didn't like that she stopped and like hid by under the bridge i just i that stressed me out (laughs) 
to. I agree. I was like, just keep going. That's like what I keep saying every time I watch these movies. Like, why are we stopping? Just keep going. <laughs> she had a pace down. She was clearly more athletic than Michael Myers. She didn't have to sprint, so she didn't trip. You know, she was she had a good pace. I thought she could just keep going. Sure. I mean, you know, that they, they needed to to sort of get some tension from that scene. I don't think watching Lindsay Wallace run for 5K was going to be that as interesting as seeing her hide behind the tree and scram. But I get your point. Why don't you just keep on running? Obviously, then we have um, Tommy Doyle, Anthony Michael Hall, who he mentioned earlier. Not not the original actor to play Tommy Doyle. I'm not entirely sure why they didn't bring the original actor back. I think he may have turned it down. But I think, honestly, and this is just my hot take, um, you guys can can chip in. But I think that he dodged a bullet. Yeah. What do you, the original what do you actor, you mean? Yeah, what do you think, Paul? Yeah, I mean... Like, like we said before, there are some really good parts in this movie, but then there was also just stuff that just like made it seem like, oh God, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't what I was thinking it was going to be. Um, so specifically yeah. to Tommy's, to Tommy's character, I mean. Yeah, it's not, he, yeah, I didn't really like Tommy that much. No, I mean, his first scene was in that bar. I was a bit confused about what was actually going on in that bar. I thought it was maybe a tribute evening for the survivors of Michael Myers or something because, you know, they were all there. There was like a like a sort of gala thing, like, you know, acts up on the stage. And then he gets up and tells this, gives this quite, you know, morbid monologue after we've just seen a ventriloquist doll on the stage. Um <laughs> And then, and then says something that really bugs me. And, and Alvin, like, I don't know if you, you picked up on this, but he then toasts, like, raises a toast to Laurie Strode. Now, if he really cared about Laurie or had a relationship with her, surely on Halloween night, he wouldn't be in a bar raising a glass to her. He would be with her, supporting her at her house. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> I, uh, it was, they did a little, you know, the beginning was really well done, I thought, as far as flashbacks go, but they did do a lot of spoon feeding, and his little, his little speech was some more spoon feeding, I felt like. Um, yeah, I think it was definitely aimed at the youngsters that have not watched the original Halloween. Right. It's like, oh, by the way, we're going to tell you the story again, even though we've just had a flashback to that, you know, the actual story 10 minutes ago. So we have them all, and then obviously we have um, two more returning characters, the, the doctor and the nurse, who were um, very briefly seen in Halloween 2018, getting in the car and driving off. So we have that scene. Obviously, this film is obviously trying to say something about mob mentality. You know, you have Tommy who really riles up people, you know. I mean, you could definitely play a drinking game with Halloween Kills. Every time someone says evil dies tonight, you do a shot, you'll be drunk within the last, like, the first 20 minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and obviously, every time someone says 40 years ago, 
again. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> hammered. But um, what do you think of the idea of mob mentality? I mean, a lot of a lot of people have said that it didn't sit well with them, the fact that this movie was trying to say something political. What do you think, Paul? I mean, the mob mentality, like, like part, like part of it just kind of seemed like when the mob was, like, there just kind of seemed to be like, like there was this uprising and, you know, that the town was like, like they gave it like the towns had enough you know and Mm. like you know the that you know that they're not gonna they're not gonna live in fear anymore they're gonna take this they're gonna take their town back but it just a lot of the time it just kind of just felt very forced and it just didn't feel genuine and um especially with like uh like there was this (laughs) Like there's this scene where there's this woman in the hospital. She's got she's got brown curly hair and brown eyes, and she goes, "Evil dies tonight." And it's like, (laughs) I mean, it was just so awkward. And it was like, you know, and um, but uh, but I mean, I mean, the filmmakers have said that they wanted to to bring some sort of meaning and and politicize you know, the film and talk about human behavior in those stressful situations. Now, I'm going to put something to you now, Alvin, that I don't know if you're going to agree with me or not. So, 1978, Michael kills three people. Four people. No, um, Annie. Four people. Michael kills four people, okay? 40 mm-hmm. years later, um, you know, this mob starts to uprise and... Tommy gets stokes the fire and gets them all riled. Now, I'm not being funny. I don't imagine that many of those people that were getting angry and shouting evil dies tonight can even remember what happened 40 years ago, let alone be riled up by the thought of Michael Myers returning to Hattleford. But to be honest with you, I'm surprised a lot of them didn't turn around and say, Michael who? Do you think that whole mob and chanting and you know, baying for blood was realistic? Um, I think the movie tried, both movies tried to make things realist, as realistic as possible, but while doing so, they uh, they made a whole lot of things unrealistic, and I, I feel like that's part of it as well. They, they um, the mom mentality storyline was something that I liked, but you're right, it didn't feel, it didn't feel super believable. Um, I mean, supposed to be secluded she was secluded and kind of closed off from the town so you're right as far as people probably would have just forgotten but out of nowhere they're all like all right let's let's fight for lori you know i understand (laughs) tommy doing i understand tommy wanting to do it and i even understand why tommy wasn't there originally for the halloween kills part or halloween 2018 because it's believable to me that he appreciates her and uh and she appreciates him but she uh, she secluded herself for many years, and I'm sure he wasn't hanging on all the time, wondering where she was. You know what I mean? She's a survivor. I think he knew that she was okay. But the, like with the news going in 2018, like the movie, I felt like you're totally right to be like, why wasn't he more involved? It was on the news that there was an escape from the asylum. 
like where like he he kind of acts like this is the first let's they all act like it was the first time they saw that news was late night at the bar yeah absolutely do you think that this film would have benefited more if we'd had tommy doyle and maybe even Lindsay uh introduced in halloween 2018 rather than waiting till halloween kills um i think that i think it would have been hard to find screen time for him in that one to i mean a cameo would have been nice but i think when they set out to make 2018 i don't know if they knew they were going to be able to make three of them i mean it was pretty risky at the time david gordon green that's his name right the yeah that's correct Yep, uh, he's he. I mean, he made one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Pineapple Express. And you, and you hear yeah. that Danny McBride, art writer. Not everybody was probably sold that that movie was gonna, you know, set box office tones here movie. for the next Pineapple Express. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's I a great too. film. But I, uh, I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely awesome. Um, but yeah, I don't think that they. I mean, I even heard him talk about how he didn't have a lot of expectations for the movie that this was like the 11th movie and no one's going to care about it. So, that yeah, I mean, they probably didn't mm-hmm. think to put some of those characters in until after they had established, you know, no, and I can, I can completely here. understand that. I completely understand that. I just think maybe it would have been better to have those characters in the in Halloween 2018, just because I feel like some of the characters from Halloween 2018 were relegated here, especially, um, and um, Alison, so Laurie's granddaughter. Mm-hmm. I felt like right. we spent a lot of time with her in Halloween 2018. She did not have much to do in this film. She sort of turned up at the hospital, left the hospital, came back again, and then drove around in a car, and then watched her boyfriend get killed. Like, she didn't right. really have much to do. I felt like they let her down a little bit. I mean, even... You know, Karen, Judy Greer's character, had a bit of a subplot, you know, with her trying to protect the uh, um, the other patient that had escaped from the, from the bus crash. I think that was an interesting story for her. But, um, yeah, I think that having to introduce so many characters again into this film and having to deal with the backstory of all these characters didn't well serve the characters that we'd been introduced into... 2018 what do you think Paul yeah I think that if um you know I think that 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 there could have been that you know there were characters that I think that they could have you know that they could have squeezed in the originals you know Lindsay Wallace and Tommy Doyle they could have they could have squeezed them into the 2018 one and gotten rid of yeah. some of the, gotten rid of some of the other uh, things that have that happened that, you know, seemed kind of pointless. Um, sure. And, you know, and I think that it would have been like, oh yeah, you know, and um, you know where Lori could be, you know, going up and going, go, he's back, Michael's back. You know. I I think that what it, what would have been an ideal thing would maybe just having them as a cameo maybe just coming around to visit laurie you know tommy and Lindsay, coming around just like you know if if it was one scene if there wasn't going to be a sequel and they weren't going to be reintroduced that would be fine but it would be just nice a little bit of fan service to see them and then have them we already know who they are they're established we don't have to spend so much of the film 
establishing those characters. So I felt I felt like the first quarter of the film, um, it was just playing catch up for audience members that may not have seen previous installments. Right. I agree. Yeah, it was previously on Halloween. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, earlier on, I mentioned that Halloween two. Uh, the original 1980s Halloween 2 no longer exists. But there's a lot of flashbacks to the original characters. So we have a flashback to Lindsay, a flashback to Tommy, a flashback to Marion. But then we also have a flashback to Brackett, Lee Brackett. Now, the flashback that we get from Lee Brackett is lifting up uh, the, the sheet to find out that his daughter Annie has died. And that is actually from Halloween 2. So they were referencing or flashbacking to a film which should actually no longer exist. I caught oh, that too. Oh, yeah. yeah. So um, I'm not quite sure what's happening with the Halloween franchise timeline these days. I do think that um, they are telling stories from different paradoxical um, dimensions. But we'll stick with this dimension for now. But it was a bit strange that that squeezed through and I'm, I'm sure that the filmmakers must have realized that if they put that in you know the halloween fans are not going to let that go <laughs> so but uh that was an interesting one so as the story progresses we have the mob we have um going after michael myers let's talk about michael himself for a minute so there is a scene quite early on where he breaks into the house of um, a couple who are just sort of enjoying a night in. Actually, the woman, um, I can't remember the character's name, but the woman in that scene uh, was in Halloween 2018. She was the woman who um, took the podcasters to Judy Myers' grave. I did not care. Yeah, so the woman, of the, yeah, the woman who um, in that of the couple that was killed, what she was the the um, I don't know cemetery attendant, you could say. I don't know if that's a, an actual job title, but yeah, she was like the, the cemetery attendant in 2018, which I thought was nice because then that gave Michael a bit of a motive. Because I was thinking, what is his motive to this? But I was thinking maybe his motive is. Um, that he saw her by his sister's grave and took offence or maybe just thought, I'll go after her now, as Michael does. So that scene for me was particularly harrowing. Uh, What did you think of that scene, Alvin? Especially that scene. What do you think Michael was up to? Why was he stabbing the gentleman rather a few times? I was trying to figure that out during the movie as well because it was I actually liked that part. I it was it was creepy. I think, you know, watching the movie and wanting to be scared and wanting to be creeped out, it was pretty effective for that scene. But I uh it does make you wonder if there's you know, there I'm trying not to sound weird here, but they there is he possessed? You know, like is this what's going to like the third one are they going to get more supernaturally like with this with mm. him? Um I feel like the fact that he's stabbing, he's stabbing that dude like six times with different knives for a reason. Like, is he testing the knives out? <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, is he using him as like a real life knife tester? Yes. I, and I like the way that you obviously um, his wife was still conscious and watching that going on, which I thought was particularly harrowing. Quite yeah. a, a nasty scene. Obviously, um, there's sort of two things going on for me with Michael in this film, and they're both sort of told to us by different sources. So one idea is that Michael is just a six-year-old boy, um, you know, in the body of a killing machine, and then just murders people and then returns home. That's just his nature. And then we have, obviously, Laurie, Laurie's um, speech at the end, about him transcending. Um, obviously, we don't know what that means. Uh, what do you think, Paul? What do you think is probably more likely? Do you think that um, when Laurie says that Michael is transcending every time he kills, do you think there'll be a supernatural element brought into it in Halloween Ends? There has to be, because it's like, I mean, there were so many things that, that like that it's like Michael should have been on the ground you know like you know like with that group of people that you know it's like the mob got him you know but then all of a sudden then he gets this burst of strength and all of that it's like it just kind of like like there's parts where it's just like come on man it's really far-fetched and um you know, like, and and th- like one thing that I was screaming at the TV while watching it was just like I was like, I'm like shoot him again, I'm like kill him again, I'm like stab him again, like, <laughs> yes, him again. yes, chop his freaking head off, like chop <laughs> his head off, do something. It's like what? It's like why are you like like you're just like. It's like, okay, now you're just going to sit down and just rest and hug your daughter because it's like, oh, Michael's, oh, you know. Can I just say, listening to you two just then, it sounded like you were part of the mob. (laughs) I mean, mean, they already were, they were already beating him to a bloody pulp, stabbing him. Uh, Like, like, there's no, there's no reason not to stop. In my opinion, at that point, like right. the gloves well, were already completely off. Wrap him so up. What do you think is going up on? All then, the What's Why do that? you think he's not dying? I'm not convinced he can die now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After watching Halloween Kills, uh, I mean, I heard the director say that he wants to make him appear to be like he can be killed, but I feel like if that's the case, he failed there because. I mean, that dude was shot six times. He was stabbed with a pitchfork. He was uh, stabbed with stom- a I mean, it's... Go ahead. Like, in his stomach, he was stabbed in his stomach. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he's clearly not killable at this point, at least with the mask on. I mean, there's... Mm-hmm. Um, I... It's going to... Th- three is going to have some... It's work cut out for it, in my opinion, this third installment, because... At this point, it's like, what else do they... I mean, there's no way to kill him, in my opinion, at this point. You're going to have to trap him again. I mean, they trapped him for 40 years, which makes me ask a lot of questions as well as to why he stayed there for 40 years when he could just do what he did twice in that movie and <laughs> brutally murder everyone in his path. Uh, he could have taken bullets. He could have taken any bullets he wanted during those 40 years. It's weird because well, at the beginning... 
three times in that movie, you see him surrounded by people once in 1978. And he just, he just gives up and lets them, you know, apprehend him. And then you see him surrounded by firefighters. He kills all those guys. No problem. And at the end of the movie, he's surrounded by a mob and he, you know, no problem takes care of them as well. So it's, it's weird. How did he get caught in 78? (laughs) Exactly. But I always thought, I mean, that last comment sort of does away with my theory, but I always thought the reason why he didn't escape uh, from the asylum because he didn't have the mask. The mask, for some reason, is such a sense of uh, power for him that I, I, I don't understand why. Hopefully that might be slightly more explained in Halloween Ends. But, you know, he's he's there, he's getting beaten upon, he's getting shot, he's getting, you know, stabbed. Um, and it isn't really until he puts that mask on that he starts to fight back. So right, that was something that stood out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's something to that mask. I do have a question about the mask, though. If if the mask is so important, which I, I also have been, you know, going down that rabbit hole, too, that the mask has to be somewhat involved. But, you know, his first kill with his sister, he's not wearing that mask. Uh, And I also want to know where he was at prior, because like when the Halloween opens up, he's coming into his house. So he was already trick or treating uh, and coming home, whatever, whatever has possessed him. I know he focuses on his home all the time, but like, I think whatever possessed him happened before he got home, because you don't see, I mean, you don't, I mean, I feel like that opens up some flashback scenes for part three as to what might've what might have possessed him to begin with because the mask didn't come into play until 15, 16 years later, right? When he breaks out and yeah. goes to the hardware store. So, I mean, the possession didn't start with the mask. So, No, absolutely. I mean, like, if you, were, if you wanted to go back and look over the aborted Halloween timeline that is Halloween Curse of Michael Myers, you know, you find out that Michael was actually at the house of Mrs. Blankenship before he went and killed his sister, Mrs. Blankenship right. was part of a cult, the cult of right. Thorn. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I, I was speaking as to this this timeline. I want to know where he's at because the sure. end of my end of Halloween is altered uh, sure. with this new well, version. Is, I'm assuming the beginning is too. Do you think they're bringing back the curse of Thorn? <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it with a straight face. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I really Which is hope so not. far-fetched. Exactly. Very far-fetched. Now, there was um, one moment in the film very early on that took me out of the movie, and I was sitting there thinking about it for about 10 minutes. It did actually spoil my first viewing because I just could not get it out of my head. So at the end of the 1978 Halloween movie, Loomis shoots Michael uh, six times before he falls off the balcony. Yet... When we see Michael standing outside his house at the end of the flashback 1978, there are no bullet holes in his overalls. I, wow. I didn't see that. What gives there, man? I want to know now. <laughs> Paul, any answers? I think that maybe they just forgot. I, honestly, it could have been a, <laughs> it could have been a slip of the thing. They could have just been like they wanted you to think it. You know, they wanted you to think that it that that you know they're like, oh yeah, he was shot already by Loomis <laughs> and all that. But 
I mean, like, because Lori says in this movie that there's something much deeper that he transcends. Yeah. And so I think that there's this essence of evil that possesses Michael and either it's like, like you guys remember in the movie, the mask when anytime Jim Carrey would put on that mask, he would get into like this, this goofy, like real confident, like type of, you know, character (laughs) that, yeah. I mean, so I'm wondering if it's like, is it supposed to be something where it's like, there's like some type of, you know, demon that's in this mask. That's like, you know, I don't know because he was wearing because Michael when Michael was six when he killed his sister he had a mask on. Yeah, it, it was just a clown wasn't outfit. Th- it wasn't right. that man. It wasn't right. The, it wasn't the white uh, William Shatner mask. It was um, just right. like a small. It just sort of covered his eyes. But there is mm-hmm. something about that Michael doesn't want to see his face. You know, like Michael obviously, there's something about his own appearance that is an issue for him. I don't know. Right. It's going to be interesting to find find out what this finally, uh, like the answers to this in Halloween ends, obviously. So, with the story moving on, I mean, I've got a question here. Obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis is top billed in this film. Yet, she is in it for probably about 15 minutes overall. What did you think of that, Alvin? Did you think that we were shortchanged on Jamie Lee Curtis' action? Absolutely. We were shortchanged with her. We were shortchanged with uh, Will Patton. We were shortchanged with Judy Greer. Like, those are the three strongest credible actors in the movie, and I feel like we were kind of shortchanged on all of them, to be honest with you. Well, you know, I have to sort of take you up on Will Patton shortchanged, seeing I thought he was dead. That's fine. Even if you just get Will Patton laying in a bed, that's more than I thought we were going to get. Sure. Fair enough. I just, uh, (laughs) I felt like between the three of those really strong actors, because I really like all of them, I felt like they were definitely underused in this movie. And that probably has a lot to do with the fact that they're going to be so heavily featured in the third one that they needed, I mean, they needed a trilogy and they had to stretch it out. This, this, the second one is clearly a, a bridge between one and three. So. Well, rumors are, and I'm sure that you might know this already, but there's going to be quite an extensive time jump in Halloween Ends. So I think it, I think there's rumors that it's going to be between two and four years time jump into the future for the um, the next film. I read that it'll take place when the movie's released, so like 2022. I also read that okay. they're gonna that they're gonna incorporate COVID into their plot line and <laughs> politics. No, that's oh, actually, wow. I'm actually being serious. I, uh, the, the director has said that they're going to incorporate COVID and more politics in the next movie. No. Can you imagine if they take off Michael's mask and he's wearing another one underneath like a face mask? <laughs> Y'all that's what, that's what Michael's, that's what Michael's had. That's why Michael's been breathing like that. You know, Michael's, Michael's had COVID. <laughs> Michael was the first, he was patient COVID. zero. He was patient zero. Yeah. He was patient zero. Yes. We, we figured... COVID's going to be the thing that finally gets Laurie Strode. <laughs> yeah. 
or the thing that finally kills Michael. Or Michael, That'd be yes. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I do feel like we were shortchanged on Jamie Lee Curtis, but like I said, right. Yeah. Was I the only one who thought that when she was laying in the bed talking to Hawkins about the night they spent together and they kissed and they danced? Was mm-hmm. I the only one that thought the next thing that was coming was that we found out that he was like Judy's dad? Ooh, I didn't. I thought I something didn't... like that was coming. Judy Greer's dad. I mean, Karen, as in the character's name, Karen. Yeah. Um, Laurie Strode's daughter. I honestly thought that the revelation there was going to be that Hawkins turned out to be Karen's dad. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Interesting, but I don't think at that particular moment in this particular film, it would have been necessary. Because can you imagine, like, Will Patton just turning around and saying, you know, when this is all over, we're going to be a family. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't think it, I think I probably would have vomited into my popcorn at that point. But, uh, yeah. So, in... Halloween 2018. One of the one of the story plots in which Michael escaped was there was a bus crash. On that mm-hmm. bus were other uh, inmates or patients from Smith's Grove. One of them also um, escaped and was brought back into this film. Um, my friend who I went with refers to him as the Penguin. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> So I'm just going to call him that because I think that's quite cool if he actually turned out to be the penguin. But what did you think of that? I thought it was a very strange misdirection. What did you think about the penguin storyline, Paul? I, you know, part of me was just like, I thought it was like, like, like Tommy, like Tommy was like, oh, Michael's in here. Michael's in here. It's like, doesn't Tommy remember what Michael like, like how tall (laughs) like like doesn't he remember like what michael looks like and all that it's like like this penguin guy is like four foot nothing and you know and looks scared to death and you know it's like yeah yeah so it just kind of was just like i mean i don't know there was a lot of things that just kind of it felt like almost like in um in the dark night when people when 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 Gotham City starts to uh have this you know thing where where, where they decide that you know that they're just going to start killing each other and, the, and that there's this, there's this unrest and that there's oh, you is know this on the that, boats do you mean on the boats uh, when they have... right on the boat on the boat yeah and, and they like, have like the um the choice don't they to blow up right so it's like they're making this choice they're making this choice that they're gonna you know kill this guy and so it seemed like they're all losing their minds you know Mm -hmm. they've all because none of them seem none of the mob people seem like they are mentally well yeah i mean i think that the hysteria definitely takes over in that moment and obviously they chase uh penguin up onto the roof and then he jumps and 
up to that point, I have to say, I was actually a little bit tearful when he broke the window, climbed onto the ledge and jumped. I was tearful for about 10 seconds until they, they like, shot, like, the, the shot went back to him laying on the ground and it looked like... A pancake. <laughs> Someone just dropped, like, a whole jello on the floor. <laughs> it looked disgusting. I was like, I literally felt so bad for him and, you know... Wiping tears away from my eyes, and then it flashes back, and my reaction was just like, "Ew!" Yeah, <laughs> and his leg was... broke off. It's like, does that really happen? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I had sympathy for him. Obviously, I still have sympathy, but sympathy where I couldn't even look. It was pretty grim. That was gross. But um, I would say that's a pretty gruesome death. Although I don't think it's the most gruesome death. So, uh, before we move on to what I think is the most gruesome death, Paul, me and you, like, are part of the LGBTQ plus community. So, when when we hear on the grapevine that there's going to be some characters from that community incorporated into the Halloween franchise, I'm thinking, yay, Mm. inclusivity. And then we get Big John and Little John. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it easily was, it was... two of the most worst characters ever to appear in any franchise ever. Paul, they made me uncomfortable. Me it made me uncomfortable. Alvin, how did you I... feel about Big John and Little John? Um, I have I have opinions on that. They, I felt like they definitely. I mean, I'm uh, not part of the LGBT. Uh, community but i i totally i totally love seeing them in movies i just you know wish that they would utilize their like uh, a character more so in that movie they were there but they weren't they weren't really characters i guess in my opinion Um, that movie the movie that just got released too on netflix that that uh there's someone in the house uh Mm -hmm. they had they had like a, a a couple of characters from the LGBT community in there, but you do nothing about their character. So I was kind of like, it's cool that they're here, but I'd like to know more about them, I guess. Absolutely. Paul, what did you think? Um, sorry to cut you off. You were going to say something about Big John and Little John. It made you feel uncomfortable. Uh, it just made me feel uncomfortable when they would be like, like they go, go Big John and he go, yeah, Little John. You know, and it... <laughs> It's like when they would yeah. talk to each other, it's like they would do that. It's like, yes, little John. Big John, are you there? Yes, yes, <laughs> little John. And it's like, um, however, it's like I I liked that they didn't put up with no, that, that, that they weren't going to put up with no shit, you know, at the yeah. at the end. You know, I did really appreciate that, that they weren't, that they didn't make them out to be, you know, this, you know, soft, fearful, you know, kind of, you know. uh, The stereotype that we usually get. Right. Where it was like, I liked that, you know, the, that Big John got, you know, really upset and, you know went out there but i i do think i know what you're going to talk about as the most gruesome death and um i mean yeah well just just sticking with big john little john for a sec i i felt like 
they were characters that were played for laughs, but their relationship was a big part of the thing they were trying to get humor from. There's one sequence where I think it it's a shot of like the bedside table and there's a photo of them on it. And mm-hmm. like they're in a pose, like they're in a sort of a romantic pose, I suppose um, a bit of a comical pose, you could say. I felt like it used the fact that they were in a relationship um, to, to, to add an element of comedy like the audience that i was in laughed at that moment you know and i just thought are we laughing because the photo is ridiculous are we laughing because it was two men if it was a man and a woman in that photo would that have got a laugh even if they were even in the same you know uh, pose situation i don't think it would have i just think that the relationship between them was great that they had representation in the film but they really did play it for laughs and i think that in some respects that does that doesn't really give them brownie points right what did you guys what did you guys think about them being positioned in the same way uh in death yes well you know i don't think many people would have really have got that because they would have seen the the photo pretty much as a comical moment and therefore wouldn't have taken it on board so when might yeah, I mean, I think that that was a nice touch if it wasn't so sort of haphazardly done. Little John's very first appearance when he's singing and getting high felt like to me I was watching some kind of strange um, TV show on a streaming service that no one's ever heard of. You know, it just didn't feel like it fitted into the movie because we had that sequence with them and then we had quite an interesting sequence with them with the kids, you know, like being uh, played tricks on by the kids outside. But then we went straight back to the hospital and we didn't get the payoff from that introduction of them until about 45 minutes, you know, later in the film. So it, it just was very confusing that we had these two characters set up and then we didn't see them again for so long. Does that I make sense? That. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I do. I do think it's nice to see representation in films. I just don't think that was the best representation there could have been. I do think that there was some uncomfortable moments. I mean, me and Paul are part are part of that community, and I found it uncomfortable. And Paul's mentioned that he found it uncomfortable. Yeah. So, didn't necessarily do the job there, um, guys. But yeah. never mind. But. Uh, Hopefully they'll do better in the future and people will learn from those uh, those missteps. But most gruesome death for me was Cameron, Alison's boyfriend. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Got it. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, that's definitely one of the more gruesome deaths in the movie for sure. Yeah. Uh, mine, mine would have been the pancake penguin. Uh, that, <laughs> I literally have in my notes here. I literally—it's funny that you mentioned that because I literally have in my notes here. Did not need to see guy look like a pancake <laughs> <laughs> because that scene was pretty emotional. That scene was really emotional. It got me too. I was, you know, I was definitely, I was definitely feeling for the situation there, and then that absolutely took me out of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you're actually caring and rooting for somebody and then they lose their life tragically, you don't want to see literally at the bottom of the of the roof. Yeah. The reason, but yeah, Cameron definitely got it. Yeah. The, and the reason 
for me, why that was the most gruesome death was because it was so prolonged. You know, with his head between the uh, the railings on the bat on the banister, <laughs> yeah. and then boom, boom, boom. You know, it was it went on for what felt like a long time, and I just felt like Michael was prolonging his death to taunt Alison. And then when he finally just walked down the stairs towards her, looked over to him and then just snapped his neck, it was almost like a a taunt to her rather than a kill that Michael necessarily would have done. But I, I, I found that really, really disturbing. And mind you, yeah. I think one of the reasons why, and uh, let me know what you think, guys. I, I think one of the reasons why they prolonged that kill and made it as violent and horrible as possible, because... When the film came out in 2018, a lot of people were a bit annoyed that Cameron hadn't been killed off because of his behaviour in that film. You know, tr- um, cheating on Alison at the at the party, and be- and like throwing her phone in the in the pudding and the custard. You know, and just being a bit of a a really shit boyfriend. Um, a lot of people were annoyed that he didn't get killed off in 2018 as. Um, as a repercussion for his behaviour, but they really, really paid that off in Halloween Kills just when we were starting to like him again. Right. You really did start liking him. Like, you did. You started liking him again. And then they kill him like that. Yeah. And, you know, the kill that happened just before that, we had, who I actually think was one of the best performances in the film, um, you know, Lonnie, um, I'm trying just to find the the actor's name who played Lonnie, Robert Longstreet, uh, who played Lonnie, you know, he's um, sort of set up as this strong pillar of a character that sort of Tommy and Lindsay and everyone sort of rely on. And, you know, you know, he's obviously suffering as well from his experiences with Michael Myers, but he's quite a strong character. He's Cameron's dad. I felt a little bit cheated that we didn't get to see his death like on screen. We only got to saw him after. What do you think about that, Alvin? And the reason why I say that is because it's set up in that 1978 flashback that, you know, him and Michael had some sort of connection. Michael spared him. I just didn't think there was a payoff to that. What did you think? I I agree with that too. I've, I've got that written down as well that I, that I definitely would have liked. I would have liked to see that death as well, considering the fact that they set it up so nicely at the beginning. And you're right; he's a really good actor. He was in a Midnight Mass as well, and he was really good in that too. Yes. You guys haven't seen that? Uh, oh, no, that actor's Alvin. I would have seen that we're death. Gonna, yeah, Alvin, we're gonna do we're gonna do a conversation about Midnight Mass, hundred uh, percent. I'm all in. <laughs> I'm all in. I uh, one of the, probably one of the best things I've ever seen. Paul, have you seen Midnight Mass? No, I have not. You need to watch. But I will it have on to Netflix. check it out. Yeah, definitely. So I agree. Lonnie's character definitely got the short end of the stick on that one, and then obviously, following that, we have Cameron's death. And I think having seen the relationship with him and his dad, and sort of like the coming together again with him and Allison, and then just having him brutally, like, brutally murdered like that, really uh, disturbed me as well. So. Yeah, for me, I would say Cameron's uh, death was the kill of the film that really got under my skin. 
I really thought the couple though, the 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 couple that got killed, like when um like with the stabbing with the knives and she was sitting there like to me I thought that that was really like that was a pretty gruesome kill but you know still I think that the that you're absolutely right about Cameron because it was so prolonged and he just Mm -hmm. kept doing it and part of me even knew that when he walked down the steps he said he's going to stop right where his head is I said and do something I said Mm -hmm. I know he is and sure enough I thought he was going to uh, What happened? Yeah. <laughs> I just think. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, look, this film's structure for me was the biggest issue. It was a bit of a hot mess. We were jumping around all over the place. Some of the dialogue was a bit sticky, didn't quite work. I'm not, like I said at the beginning of this uh, podcast, if there was a drinking game for Halloween kills and we all took a shot during um, Evil Dies Tonight, me, Alvin and Paul will probably just be laying on the floor in a coma right now. But at the same time, obviously they're building to something. I've always said that you should never judge a trilogy by its second part. You know, it's like judging Lord of the Rings by the two towers or, you know, uh, I mean, you could, judge the godfather by part two because it's absolutely oh absolutely (laughs) but um we'll have to see what might see what happens in ends i mean what did you think i mean if you are listening and thank you so much for listening guys if you are listening live with us uh we will be getting to a couple of your messages in a minute but um if you haven't seen halloween kills don't listen to this bit especially because we're going to talk about the ending now but Michael is beaten up badly and then obviously comes back, kills the mob. And then we have um, Karen and Alison together. Alison has obviously got a broken leg from her encounter with Michael Myers. And then Karen goes upstairs in the Myers house to stand at the window where we've been seeing Michael stand for so long. And then Michael appears and kills her. What did we think, guys? Should we start with Alvin? Uh, I was not a fan of Judy Greer dying. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really like her. Um, the it was it was weird. It, it like the way it's cut too is awkward because you don't even really see her. You know that she's getting stabbed, but they're not like showing it. So maybe they're giving themselves the opportunity to bring her back. I guess if they yeah. if they want it. I wonder if there's something there with them not being able to. Uh, pin her, weren't maybe they weren't able to pin her down for the third one and they were just leaving it trying to leave it as open as they could while making her look as dead as possible too um i thought it was weird i thought i thought that whole sequence was kind of weird myself i agree with you because i feel like that from the moment michael was getting attacked by the mob that we'd also sort of gone into some sort of nightmare on elm street-esque like dream i felt like everything that happened from that moment when michael started killing the mob we didn't it wasn't real you know and i always felt like by the end of the film i was thinking did that last sort of 10 minutes actually happen or was that in some kind of laurie strode at the hospital you know the painkillers were kicking in it was her imagination but maybe um, I mean, maybe. Let's not, like, discount that. That could be a possibility. But what did you think of that 
final uh, scene, Paul, with uh, Karen losing her life to Michael Myers? I mean, I definitely jumped. um, Because part of me was just kind of like, it's like, oh, man, it's like, well, because I said, well, he's out there. I'm like, you know, of course he's out there. I mean, you know, ain't ain't nobody safe now, you know, and then I, you know, and then when he jumps out and, you know, is behind her, I thought, oh, shit, you know. Yeah. And, um, but um, still, though it's kind of like you think like how did he get into that house it's like right it's like Mm -hmm. you know it's like how did he go from there to the house so quickly and you know and they were sitting by the front door you know and again it's just there there are some things that are just kind of like really far-fetched with this and um you know again there's nothing believable at all about michael myers um you know, but um, I did, you know, I, I I am not a entirely huge fan of Judy Greer, but I really like her in these Halloween movies. I absolutely hated her in the Carrie remake. I thought she was awful, but <laughs> um, I mean, it was just, it was really bad. But that was just um, a bad film all around. That was, yeah, I was just saying, I don't know if that's on Judy Greer, but that movie was terrible. Yes. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, I don't know. But all in all, it was pretty shocking seeing that. And I was like, well, you know, I said, you know, Tommy, you know, Tommy's getting it. You know, she's getting it. You know, I'm like, wow. But there's um, there's one like flash, and again, like I was so into this film like even though there were so many elements that i was really just thinking what the hell is going on here i was really into it you know i was listening i was concentrating i was living this movie and there's one sequence when karen is downstairs and she looks up at the myers house and she sees michael but michael as a little boy wearing his clown outfit what alvin what do you think that was about was she seeing a ghost from the past or what what was happening they, there? They used reflections a lot in the movie. I mean, she's looking at herself in the hospital a lot, uh, the same way she's looking at herself in the window at the end of the movie. Um, so, I mean, I think they were just trying to use that same uh, shtick by putting him putting him in the window as a kid. I don't I don't know if there's there's no connection between her and him as far as him being little. So, I don't know. I don't no, know exactly. If that was, that was just for us as fans of the series to see him in that same suit again, looking through the window. But uh, I don't know if uh, I also agree with you as far as I was into it the whole time too. I mean, I presenting the problems I had with it, but I still, I still like liked it. It was still worth watching. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, for me, that sequence of seeing the clown, uh, clown Michael as a little boy, was just a very strong indicator of what's to come, that they are going to lean more towards the supernatural. Would you agree with that? I definitely agree that they're leaning towards the supernatural in the next one. Because the, the first one was like a, a you know an homage to the first one. It was very um, slow burn a little bit. Yeah, not as many, 30 people didn't get murdered like in this one. So the first <laughs> one was more... The 2018 one was more like the first one. And this one is definitely like your typical sequel where they amp up the kills 
and it was kind of more mm-hmm. of a more of a slasher all over the place. And uh, I've I've heard that the third one's going to be even different than the first two as far as the way they the tones that they're going with. So I'm assuming it's going to be like a supernatural possession, uh, more more of a haunted feel than. I mean, I'm sure people are still going to get slashed, but they're definitely going to do something different in the third one. If it works, yeah. we don't know. <laughs> well, no, absolutely. And I'm very, very excited to see the end. So, obviously, like with with before, um, we're going to rate this film out of five. So, what would you give this film, Paul, out of five pumpkins? Oh, um, I would give it uh, three pumpkins. Oh, okay. That's more than I thought you were going to give it, to be honest. I mean, I did. There were a lot of things I enjoyed. Sure. No, what about you, Avin? Uh, Me and Paul are going to be saying the same. I'm going with three as well, because overall there were like there was a lot of fun kills in the movie. Uh, so that was pretty fun to watch. It's it's all a matter of you know uh, what you enjoy, and if you enjoy slasher flicks and people getting murdered, you'll definitely like Halloween Kills. Uh, yeah. I happen to like both. I I like the slow burn. I I like I like all kinds of horror movies. I like a slow build, and I also appreciate a good hack and slash movie. And this one was good. <laughs> so good three, but it wasn't great. I will say that I don't think it was great, but it was it was no. good. I think the balance of being the slasher film to entertain the masses, but then still having the fan service in there is a very difficult thing for any movie to balance. It really, really is difficult. I think for me, they did. There was a lot of strange sort of tangents that this film went on, like with uh, Penguin. That was a very strange tangent with uh, Big John, Little John, this kind of thing was just very, you know, it was a little bit of, all the ingredients in a bowl together mixed up, not quite sure, you know, what to come out with at the end, but I'm really hoping that Halloween ends, uh, does bring the cake, uh, together to use a, you know, baking analogy, but I'm also going to give it three out of, yeah, I'm going to give it three because like you two said, even though there were moments in it that didn't work, I was still really engaged with the film and still following the story. And oh, we haven't even mentioned very, very quickly the soundtrack. Obviously, the soundtrack was done by John Carpenter and his son and his godson. Um, I loved that piano version of the theme that played over the opening credits with all yeah. the pumpkins coming. Yeah. What did you think, yeah. Alvin? Yeah, I love that too. Uh, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're bringing that up. Um, so me and my son were watching some of the old ones not too long ago, and he didn't like like the Halloween two beginning music. He he didn't like it as much as the first one. He thought it was weird the way they did it. But the new this new Halloween, the Halloween Kills, I definitely liked that piano version at the beginning. It was that was good stuff. Yeah, it was really effective. There was only one moment, uh, one music cue that I wasn't quite sure about. It was. I think when Michael was descending the stairs to come towards Allison um, after he'd just killed Cameron and there was some sort of weird sound happening in the soundtrack that sounded, made it sound a bit too jolly. And I was a bit like, oh, what's that? Why is it suddenly playing more of a sort of Teletubbies-esque track when Michael 
pounding down the stairs towards Alison. But um, yeah, there was some some questionable mo- like music cues. But um, I did hear a interview with John Carpenter, and he does actually score to the film. So it's not like he just makes up some music and sends it off to the uh, to the editors to put in. He actually does score to film, which I think is. Um, very apparent with some of the moments in this film but yeah and also that is another reason why i'm giving it a good solid three is because the soundtrack for me really did um live up to expectations obviously with carpenter coming back to his child to score it yeah how cool is that that we get to that he gets to do that you know i that's that's pretty awesome i think he's so talented yeah, absolutely. Just overall in different ways I'd love to know the input that Carpenter has on the script. I know that um, they do present him with a script and he does give some sort of pointers and, and notes. But yeah, I would like to know like what he actually thought of Halloween Kills, the finished product. Like maybe at the end of the trilogy, they can have a Blu-ray extra where you just have John Carpenter talking about what he thought about the whole process and what he thinks about the new trilogy. Because Obviously, he is the brainchild behind the whole thing. Him and Deborah Hill, of course. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Right, I think we've got some messages, guys. So let's get through these messages. Let's have a look. Catman. All right. Oh, sorry. I just clicked it off. We'll play it again. Um, this is my thing. Um, they've made so many of those movies. And people are more likely to be attached to certain movies. Was Halloween Kill, like, I'll get out the best uh, Halloween ever? No. But did it have some of the best scenes in Halloween ever? Hell yes. Was uh, (laughs) Michael Myers a 100% psycho? Yes. That first scene where he's with the uh, fire department? Badass. And the rest of the movie is not bad. Storyline? Yeah, I could have used some help. But the last... uh, 15 minutes of that movie is 100% brutal and I loved it. <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't put it better myself, really. Yeah. I'm... Yeah. I brutal. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, th- and I think that, um, you know, if you are a diehard Halloween fan, there is a lot to love um, in this film. But at the same time, I do, I do think there is definitely room for improvement, guys. We've got a lot of messages. Let's get through these. Uh... Oh my! Woo! Oh, they're all showing up now. Right. Oh, I'm still here. Right here we go. You're here now. There you are. Well, first of all, I mean, I think... What's that movie with the blind dude and a bunch of... What's that movie with the blind dude and a bunch of teenagers breaking through his house? And, you know, it turns out he's a fucking serial murderer, sicko. What's that movie called? Don't Breathe. Oh, that's... Don't uh... Don't Breathe. Don't breathe. Yes, they brought a second one out of that recently, didn't they? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. guys. My finger keep missing, keeps missing the button. You're good. Yeah. I haven't seen this. Don't breathe. Yeah. Hey, do my brothers. I just uh, I saw the movie yesterday, and uh, 
uh, I thought it was really like interesting the, the end the end scene when they were in the hospital and and when they went into that one room and, and they walked in on Michael uh, he was butt fucking his therapist in the back that shit I didn't <laughs> see that coming and uh, I know Michael I don't I think maybe we were watching a completely different film yeah yeah <laughs> hey I was wondering um, if this how this upcoming uh, Halloween movie is it? Danny McBride and Jody Hill again, or um, it was Jody Hill, right? Or one of the other guys that was involved with Eastbound and Down. I was wondering if you guys knew that. Yeah, David Gordon yes. Green was. Yeah. As well. Oh. Yep. But. David Gordon Green. And Danny McBride. And uh, yeah, Danny McBride. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry about playing the messages, guys. They're all getting away from me a little bit today. Here we go. Well, now that you mention it, when he killed his sister, he wasn't wearing that mask. But he was wearing a mask when he killed his sister. So wouldn't that mean whenever he wears a mask, that's when, you know, he gets his power or something? Or, you know, his motive? He, he, he tends to have a motive? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, there's something yeah. to that. For... Um... They didn't. He didn't have a mask on when he killed the podcasters, though. As well, so good point. Yeah, he kills kills people with or without the masks. I mean, based on what we've seen, but I feel like I feel like there has to be like maybe they just want us to think there's something with the mask (laughs) because yeah, he he definitely kills without it. That is a hot take. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't think about that, Alvin. But yeah, you're right. He does kill him without the mask. Absolutely. Right, who's next? Um, I thought it was fabulous. Um, now that I know there's going to be another sequel, um, we have like another plot going forward. And Jamie Lee Curtis, this will be another showdown for her. Uh, she is a badass. She makes me want to just like be a grandma. Like, I'm ready. But I thought it was great. Uh, I was very intrigued. Glad that I watched it. Oh, good. Yeah, Yeah, because at the end of the day, guys, I know that we get very passionate about it, us sort of horror fans. And, you know, we like to nitpick and really take these things apart. But we can't forget that at the end of the day, it's just entertainment. It's only a movie. Correct. Okay, here we go. James Franco was never better before or since uh, <laughs> Pineapple Express. He was really good at that. And he's hot as fuck, too. I would totally, <laughs> totally get down with some James Franco. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Tommy, I'm so glad that you said James Franco and didn't say Michael Myers. <laughs> I was a very concerned. If we do a po- if we do an episode on Pineapple Express, I would like to be involved with that. <laughs> Just oh, that I love that movie. Yeah, we'll do it. I haven't watched it for a few years, so I'll have to do a rewatch before. But yeah, we'll definitely love do that a, movie. A, a chat about Pineapple Express, hundred percent. Right, last message, and this is from the lovely Lauren, someone who I haven't seen on here for such a long time. So I'm not entirely sure if she's seen Halloween Kills, but I think um, it's lovely to have you on, Lauren. So here we go. OMG, doth my eyes deceive me? Is that (laughs) Keith Andrews? Keith? 
Oh, darling. Where have you been, Keith Andrews? Where have you been? Oh, we've missed you around these stereo streets, Keith. We have missed you. What has brought you back to the place where it's all started? What brought you back? What? I don't know what the fuck this is going, but what's going on, Keith? Keith! Oh, my God. What's going on, Alvin uh, and Paul? How's it going, y'all? Hi, Lauren. Thank you. Well, what brought me back is these two amazing fellas and uh, us chatting about our favorite horror movies and other movies going on by the sounds of it with Pineapple Express. But, uh, yeah, how could I resist coming back and talking about my favorite genre with these two great guys? I mean, what's not to love? But thank you very much for joining us. So, that's it. Threes all round for Halloween Kills. I mean, that's not too bad, right? I will say that um, the reason why I was a little bit later on today was because I did go to uh, the premiere of Dune this evening. Oh, wow. So, so I'm not going to say anything because obviously if you guys get to see it, that could be another episode that I'd love to do. Uh, Talking about Dune. Um, I've got a lot to say. <laughs> There's a little precursor for you, but yeah. Um, thank you so much, uh, Alvin and Paul. It's been fantastic yeah. to have you back. Uh, obviously, you know that I'm here in the UK and it's coming to the early hours of the morning. So um, yes. I'm going to wish you a good night. Thank you so much. And um, I have no doubt that we'll be back very, very soon, but also definitely back this time next year reviewing halloween ends absolutely <laughs> yeah absolutely right. is well said for sure i enjoyed talking to both of you so yeah excellent well thank you very much until next time yeah man take right. it easy take right. it easy bye. cheerio bye <laughs>